Engraved on the front of our communion table, underneath this cloth, are these words, in remembrance of me, in remembrance of me. And so, this morning, we want to think about what we are to remember, who, who it is we are remembering when we come to this table near the close of our service. We're spending about three weeks thinking together about the God we love. Last, last week, we saw that we love the God who is our loving maker, who in love gave us life. And today, we want to spend time thinking about the God of this table, the God who is our Redeemer. And so we'll be spending some time in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles there and bow with me in prayer as we approach God through His Word and then through the table together. Let's pray. Father, have mercy on us, your people, your adopted children that you love. We ask for even more grace now that your Spirit might take this Word and Show us your glory that we might follow you rightly with our hearts and our lives, that we might love you back in a way that you are deserving of. And we ask all this for Christ's sake and in his name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 3, reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. The Word of the Lord, the beautiful, gracious Word of the Lord for us. So, who is this God that we are remembering together today at this table? The very first verse we read reveals Him to us. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So, we are gathered here To love a God who loves us, we are gathered to bless the God who blessed us with every blessing, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The Italians have a beautiful expression for love, which I can only barely pronounce, te voglio molto bene. Commonly translated, I love you, it means most literally, I wish you good. I want what is good for you. We could say, I bless you. And for us, 
like the Italians, to bless someone, to be a blessing to someone, is an expression of our love for them. To bless someone is to express your care for them. It is, in a sense, love enacted. When you bless someone, you are acting in love. And so it is with God here. His blessing is an expression of His love. And He has blessed us in Christ. Those of us who trust and know and believe in Jesus, He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We couldn't begin today to enumerate what that means. A few of them spill out in the verses we're going to look at, but this is an innumerable amount of of blessing. It's a flood of blessing beyond cataloging. We are, as God's people, awash with the blessing of the love of God on our life. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, not one is withheld, not one. So today when we approach this table to worship and to remember, we are coming to remember and love the God who has blessed us. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Here are some of those. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So today at at the table, we remember and we worship and we love because for Christians, worship is always an act of love. We worship and we love the God who not only blessed us, but He chose us chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Before this ancient world of ours was made, God chose us in Christ. And and choosing someone then, as it often is now, is a favorable act. It's a good thing to be chosen. Garrison Keillor muses about the childhood pain of being chosen last for baseball when he writes, the captains are down to their last grudging choices. A slow kid for catcher, someone to stick out in right field where nobody hits it. They choose the last ones two at a time, you and you, because it makes no difference. And the remaining kids, the scrubs, the excess, they deal for us as handicaps. If I take him, then you got to take him, they say. He says, sometimes I go as high as sixth, usually lower, But just once I'd like someone to pick me first and say, him, I want him. I want the skinny kid with the glasses and the black shoes. You, come on. To be chosen means that you are wanted. It can even mean, as it does here, that you are loved. As we will see, he chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. God has loved us for a very, very, very long time. 
In the children's book, Love You Forever, Robert Munch writes, this was a favorite of my wife to read our children when they were young. A mother held her new baby and very slowly rocked him back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And while she held him, she sang, I'll love you forever. I'll like you for always. As long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. And as the book unfolds and the child grows, the mom stealthily sneaks into his room at night, making sure that he's still asleep and still still cradles him, still rocks him, and still sings these words, I'll love you forever, I'll like you for always, as long as I'm living, my baby you'll be. This continues throughout the son's life until finally, near the end of the book, it's the son's turn to sing the song for his aging mother, who is no longer able to hold him and care for him. And then the, the story ends with him singing the song over his own infant daughter, It's a love in that story that passes from generation to generation. It's a love that lasts, as the title says, forever. And God's love is being portrayed like that here in in these verses in Ephesians, only kind of in reverse, because it says, He chose us before time began. He loved us before time began, forever ago. He loved us. And that's an act only God could do. He chose us in love, and it was a purposeful choice. Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Holy and blameless. We could say that another way. We could say that that we should be without sin that we should be free from sin. And while this is pointing to the life that He chose us to live and walk in and, and strive for, it's also showing us what He's done for us, what He's made us to be, a people no longer slaves to our sin, free from enslaving dark desires and fears, from simmering anger and hate and unforgiveness and betrayal and lust, free. He chose us to be free, holy and blameless. This is the life He chose us for, and He chose for us. And today at this table, we remember a God who has chosen us in love ever so long ago, to one day be fully free from all the suffering of sin and evil. So when you, when you come to the table, remember that He has blessed you, and He has chosen you. And in a very closely related way, Paul continues, and he writes this. He writes, in love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. And this language, this this expression of predestination has become somewhat distracting to us. But Paul writes about it as an expression of love, as an act of love on God's part. In love, he predestined. It's, It's really just another way of saying what he just said. It's a way of describing, it's assigning a word to what it's like for God to love us forever and to choose us before the world was made. 
He predestined us. He predestined us in a very purposeful way. It says, He predestined us as sons for the adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. He chose us to be adopted. Before the world was made, God determined that He would adopt us to be His children. God has given us a new name as His adopted children, His name, a new legal standing. We are now His heirs, and a new family. We have brothers and sisters in Christ, and now God, God is our true Father. Pastor Tim Keller describes it this way. He says, being completely conformed to the likeness of God's Son is something that we look forward to in the future, although the transformation is happening now gradually. Being adopted among many brothers is something that we have now. The minute you become a Christian, you have intimacy of relationship. You have an unconditional relationship. You become wealthy because everything that Jesus Christ has accomplished is transferred to you. You become beautiful and spiritually rich in Him. He says, our adoption means we are loved like Christ is loved. John 17 said, Jesus is praying here and He says, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know, Father, that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. So that the adopted sons and daughters, that's us, are loved just as the Father loves his one and only Son, Jesus. Loved them even as you have loved me. And once we're adopted, we're family. We share in all that our brother Jesus has. As Paul said, all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. So, if I adopted you, okay, if I adopted you to be my son or daughter, you would get all the blessings of 125 Nottingham Court in Youngsville. Okay? All the riches of... 125 Nottingham Court would be yours. You'd probably have access to my 98 Ford Ranger. And, and you, could, you could use my kayak that's patched on the bottom and sit on my screen porch and watch my big 42-inch TV and all those riches. They'd be yours because when you're family, mi casa is su casa, right? Isn't that how that works? Because you're family. Because you're adopted. I love adoption stories because there is no more beautiful picture of what it means to be chosen in love. And that's why I think God uses that imagery here. Um, there's a lady, her name is Joyce Darty. She's a member of Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And she went to an orphanage in Donetsk, um, Ukraine. And there she saw two-year-old Kristen with beautiful blue eyes framing the edge of a significant facial tumor. Um, but she says even that tumor couldn't hide little Kristen's impish grin. She says Kristen's eyes were so alert that I just kept watching her. 
There was something special that that tumor could not hide. I could have taken any of the children I saw home with me, and at the same time, I knew if I adopted Kristen, she'd have more than a new start. She'd have a new life. Nancy Stanberry has helped facilitate more than 130 adoptions in the Ukraine, and she says these children, they're throwaways in in Ukraine. Most Ukrainian families are afraid of a child with any kind of disability. Mothers take them to an orphanage or abandon them in a public place, walk away, and never look back. So Doherty chose Kristen. And a Louisville surgeon removed the tumor. And the thin scars are healing. And everything about Kristen has changed dramatically. They say she chatters constantly now, saying over and over again to her mama, I love you. I love you. And so when we come to the table to remember, we also come to say, I love you. I love you. Over and over to our Abba Father who has adopted us even though our sins have scarred us terribly. See, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. And this, Paul says, was to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in Jesus. He has blessed us with grace and not just regular grace, glorious grace. Undeserved favor, a kindness without merit, glorious grace for those of us who are in the beloved in Jesus, God's Son. I like the way writer Anne Lamott put it. She said, grace means you're in a different universe from where you had been stuck where you abs- when you absolutely had no way to get there on your own. It means grace means you're in a different universe from where you were stuck when you had absolutely no way to get there on your own. And, and the language here is doubly grace-rich, what Paul is saying. When it says his glorious grace, which which he has blessed us in the beloved, that language of blessing there is really the language, again, of, of grace. It's the same grace words that are being used. You could render it, his glorious grace, grace with which he has graced us in the beloved. He's freely bestowed it on us. So we come to the table and remember and love the one who has graced us with glorious grace. As the song puts it, marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilled, grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within, grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. When we come to the table, We come to to remember and to love the one who has lavished grace, glorious grace on us. And in him, verse 7 says, we have redemption through his blood. In Jesus, the beloved son of God, 
we have redemption through Jesus' own life blood poured out on the cross. The language of redemption has the idea of buying something, buying something back. And it was used um, in the scriptures sometimes to buy someone out of slavery. Um, Deuteronomy talks about this. When God rescued his people from slavery in Egypt, this is what's written about it. It says, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Redeemed from the house of slavery. One writer described redemption this way. They said it's an old word that harkens back to a time when slaves could be bought by benefactors to be granted freedom. When poor prisoners languishing helplessly in decrepit debtors' jails could be released free and clear by someone gratuitously paying off their debts. But nowadays, he writes, we tend to think of redemption as something we can do for ourselves. As in compensating for our failures by becoming more successful or by overcoming our weaknesses through continuous self-improvement and self-control. But as God sees the world, a world in which our slavery is, is to sin, not just a bad eating choices or poor time management, slavery to sin, in that world, um, self-redemption is not an option. The pit that we have dug with our sin is simply too deep for us to climb out. The canyon that our sin has caused between us and God is simply too, too wide for us to navigate. What we need is what the Bible calls a redeemer. Famously, Romans 3 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, when I was first a Christian, there's a singer, his, his name was Keith Green, and he's, he sang a song whose lyric went like this in part, there is a redeemer. Jesus, God's own son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, Holy One. Jesus, my Redeemer, name above all names, precious Lamb of God, Messiah, hope for sinners slain. Peter, in the New Testament, writes about that hope for sinners, that Redeemer, in terms of the ransom that he paid. It says in 1 Peter 1, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot. And so we come to the table and we remember and we love our Redeemer, who redeemed us by his own precious life's blood. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. 
We have forgiveness of our trespasses, forgiveness of our sins. This is what Christ's blood bought for us, forgiveness of them all, all of them. And that's a question that dogs us sometimes. Is there really enough grace for all of them? Is there enough forgiveness for the worst things that I've done? The most shameful acts that I've committed. And we know that there's forgiveness enough and grace enough because Paul says it's according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. It's not, it's not on us. It's his riches that brings about the redemption. In the 1950s, there was a missionary uh, to South America. His name was Nate Saint. And he and four other missionaries were murdered there by the Wadani people of South America. But in a testament to grace and forgiveness, the families of those slain missionaries later returned to that same tribe, to those same people who'd killed their husbands and fathers and led many of them to faith in Christ. Now, Nate, had, Nate Saint had a son named Steve, and someone asked Steve in an interview, um, so you've had a history of reconciliation with the Wadani people over the years. Was there a specific moment when that happened? And he said it was a developing thing, I think, but there was a point of reconciliation, and that was um, between Minkaye, the man who killed Steve's father, he says, and my Aunt Rachel. In her journal, she once wrote, Tonight when I was sleeping in the hammock, I heard a noise. Somebody was walking around in the dark, and Minkaya called out to her and squatted by the fire wanting to talk. He said, You said that Wangongi, the creator, is very strong. And Aunt Rachel said, Minkaya, he is very strong. He made everything here, even the dirt. Minkaya said, You sh you said that he could clean somebody's heart, my heart being very, very dark. Can he clean even my heart? And Steve says, Aunt Rachel said, being very strong, Minkaye, he can clean even your heart. She wrote that Minkaye got up and walked away, but that the next morning he came back excited. He said, what you said is true. Speaking to God, he has cleaned my heart. Now it's Watamo. It's clear like the sky when it has no clouds in it. It's clear like the sky when it has no clouds in it. Isaiah would have said, it's white like the snow, even though it was once crimson. How can that be? How can we be sure of it? Through his blood. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses. All of them according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us. It is through his blood. It is according to the riches of God's grace which he lavished upon us. That's how we know it's enough. It depends on God and his grace. Not on me and my merit. 
It depends on the blood of his son, the loving sacrificial payment for our sins, not on my ability to work them off, not on your ability to self-atone for your sin. He has done it. It is enough. He has lavished this grace on us. We are forgiven fully. So this is the God that we get to love. He is our loving maker who created us in love. And then when we went astray, he is our loving redeemer who has rescued us in love. When we come to the table today, this is who we remember. The God who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. The God who chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. The God who in love predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. The God who has blessed us with glorious grace. He's graced us with glorious grace. The God in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of all of our sins according to the riches of His grace which He lavished upon us. So I invite you to come to the table and remember that God and worship that God and love that God. Would you bow with me in prayer?